all the way from the Hazelgrove estate down the road in Sydenham. At no expense at all, actually, we have James Haley. Let's, let's pray for James. Lord, we thank you for your goodness towards us. We thank you for James. We thank you for what you're doing in his life. We thank you for how he's living out his life for you on the estate down the road. We thank you that you've spoken to him from our passage today. And we pray that you'll just allow him to share what you've given him in the power of your Holy Spirit. And help us to receive your word. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm going to take a risk and put this on here. If it crashes, it happens. How's everyone doing? Good, good. Um, So me and Nigel in the week were watching YouTube because we're really cool. And uh, yes, James and Nigel, you are really cool. Unbelievable, isn't it? Maybe maybe not Nigel. Um, Just James. (laughs) Cool cat, thank you. Um, we were watching this guy, a guy called Sean Bowles. I don't know if anyone's heard of him. He gives incredible words of knowledge, like, and they're very, very accurate. And so Nigel was like, uh, bring it then, James. Come on, give some words of knowledge. So, um, so I'm just practicing. But I've got a few words of knowledge, and I'm going to share, share those. Um, first things first. I had a, I had a word for you. Um, I'd, I had an inkling that you were a physio. But I wasn't sure, and in, and in the prayer meeting this morning, I got this word for you, and then I checked if you were actually a physio, and you are, so that's good. Um, but I felt God say, as you minister with your hands, God wants you to minister with your words too, that your words speak life. Um, and I know that's difficult, especially if you're in a secular organisation, um, but even in the secret place, in, in the heart, you can do that. Um, he wants you to speak life, pray in the spirit, and he's seen your heart, and you have been doing this. And he's really pleased with you. Um, but I think you're going to start to see fruit now. So, uh, uh, I saw you this week. Um, I was praying and I, and I got a picture of you in a royal robe. And then you prayed this morning in the prayer meeting about royalty. Um, and I actually saw um, you taking off of grave clothes off of people and putting on them royal robes. And uh, I had an experience of this. Uh, six weeks ago, seven weeks ago, when you took me aside and you spoke life into a situation. So thank you. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, This one's a risk. Uh, Someone who broke their leg years ago, God wants to solve the after effects of that and the trauma that came with that. that. Does that make sense to anyone? Someone who broke their leg years ago. Yes? That's you? Great. So there'll be a chance at the end to get some prayer for that. But I believe that God wanted to break off trauma related to that and also any pain that still is... You still have pain. Great. Come on, Jesus. So, so he would only ever highlight something to, to then do, do something. He wouldn't ever highlight something just for nothing to happen. So I believe he's going to heal you today. Um, I actually got a word for you. I don't know your name. I'm sorry. Um, I had a word... Um, I had, a, I had an idea that you really like sunrises. There's something about sunrises that, that just, it, it, warm, it kind of makes you go, ooh, this is nice. Um, but I saw, um, I saw when you rise in the morning, I saw Father God seeing you rise, and it makes him go, ooh. It makes him go like that. And actually he goes like this. He, goes, says, he says to the angels, come on, quick, she's up, she's up. And he actually delights, he delights in you. Um, I got the words... The reluctant evangelist. 
the reluctant evangelist. Um, he's given you all you need. And all you have to be is yourself in the situations that he puts you in. And we've already seen fruit of that. There's people that come to this church because you just being yourself. Um, and you're, you're doing a great job. And he loves your heart for people. Um, he delights over your time, especially at the gym. And initially you thought you were going to the gym for you. But he knew what he was going to be doing in your life there. So just keep, keep doing what you're doing. It's just an encouragement. Um, great. Is that okay? Cool. That went well, didn't it? Yeah. In the Old Testament, they used to, they used to kill prophets if they got it wrong. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Say again? No, no. Well, I don't know. <laughs> don't, don't, don't stone me. I don't want to get stoned. Uh, thank you. Okay. So um, just, a, a little, just a little update on my life quickly. It's been, as some of you know, it's been an incredible few months of, of toughness. And um, I've, I've, I've been uh, yeah, in the valley, deep, deep in the valley, sort of buried in, in the mud in the valley. And uh, um, it started off with sort of attack after attack after attack and in the midst of that I got a word from Pat which was James, um, God is refining you um, and, and gold needs to be heated to, to a crazy temperature 1800 degrees plus to, for the, the stuff to come out and that was, that was true and um, I feel like since that I've been under a sustained refining process and six weeks ago yesterday God said to me James in six weeks time this season will be over and I didn't know, like, the ambiguity of that is great, isn't it? It's like, thanks, Lord. Like, which way is it going to go? <laughs> it's like, either way, <laughs> it's going to be over. Um, and, and that turned out to be true. Um, this week, the situation that I've been praying into, that I've been fasting for, um, did a complete 180. Um, in fact, Friday night, um, it, it turned around entirely. Um, and, and God restored to me that which had been um, taken by the enemy and by the situation. Um, and so thank you for those who know this. Sorry, I can't explain the situation. One day I'll be able to share it as a testimony, but at the moment I can't. Um, but, but it's heading back towards where I wanted it, um, with me a lot lighter emotionally, spiritually, and, well, physically as well. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, amen. <laughs> um, and no doubt one day I'll be able to share also, just um, I love this family. I love how we support each other. Uh, just an update on my next door neighbours. We have, as a church, people have given hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds towards their situation. Um, last week, they got free from their rent arrears, and they put in a bid for a property in in um, uh, Downham. Now, it, it, you know, you can only bid once a month, um, but there are basically seven Pete. There's seven of them: two adults, five kids, living in a two-bedroom flat, and so. Us sowing into their lives now means they can get uh, into a bigger place. Um, yeah, just appreciate prayer, continue prayer. Um, God's done some amazing things over this last month. Um, I am going to America on uh, tomorrow with my parents, um, and yeah, just pray for us as we're out there. And um, there's always been a tough relationship with my dad. Um, in the midst of this season, actually, he came to church here. Um, I told you about my testimony before. Um, I, I felt like I was the trash that came with the treasure. Um, Chris Vallett in, in the States talks about that, but I was the trash that came with the treasure when my mum got, got remarried. And um, 
um, about three weeks ago, he came to church, and I, he was saying, how are you doing, son? The fact that he called me son was just like, oh, like, it was actually turn around. And then I, I said to him, not too, not, not too good, Dad, and I just shared with him a fear, and he started crying, and then hugged me, grabbed me, sobbed on my shoulder, and said, James, that's never going to happen. And so that, in that moment, God just said, see what I can do? I can turn all things to good, and I can restore to you the years of the local star, and I feel that's what's happened. I feel like I've got a dad. Come on. Cool. Let's get into the scripture. Is, who brought their Bible? It's bring your Bible to church Sunday. No. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, we're going to read Colossians 2, obviously. I'm going to jump around the scripture quite a bit today, so I don't expect you to, to keep up. Um, but if you can, then there's a prize at the end, which Nigel is going gonna, is gonna to give out. You brought the prize, didn't you, Nigel? Great. Thank you, Nigel. Uh, great. First, uh, verse 1 of chapter 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for, for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this uh, in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and your firmness and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Um, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that nobody takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world or uh, elementary principles of the world. And not according to Christ, for in him the whole fullness of deity deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head and all rule and authority this is the word of the lord <laughs> always wanted to do that <laughs> great so in um, in chapter 2 verse 1 paul says for i want you to know how great a struggle i have for you and for those that laid us here and for all who have not seen me face to face you know in this in this um uh, previously we've not heard of Laodicea. He introduces a new place here, and he's written a letter to those at Col- Colossae? 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 One of those. Colossae. Let's do Colossae. But now as mentioned, those at Laodicea, which is around 10 miles from Colossae. It feels wrong. I don't know why. Colossae. Um, and so there is a sure bet that they're closely related, that maybe they're doing life together every now and then, that they're sharing uh, um, resources or even just sharing people. Um, but what we see is the love that he has for the Colossians, he has the same love for those at Laodicea. You know, his heart is so for these people, some of whom he's not even met yet, um, that he says, you know, he says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. That word struggle, I did a little word study. Um, I don't know Greek. I, I know nothing about Greek, but I know how to use the internet. Um, that word struggle is the word agon, um, and that's the root of our word agony. So Paul is literally in agony for these people. The word can also be translated as fight. He's fighting for these people. Any Greek scholars in the room? Any Greek scholars say holla? No. <laughs> Um, 
For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, how I'm in agony for you, how I'm fighting for you in prayer and for those at Laodicea who have not yet seen me face to face. We get a glimpse of Paul's heart here when we look back um, to Luke 22:44, and the word... When, when uh, Jesus is sweating drops of blood in the garden, it says this. It says, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. The word we see there is agonia, which is again from the same, same root word. When we look at that verse in parallel uh, to Hebrews 12:2, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. It just blows my mind. When we look at the story of Jesus in the garden, literally in agony, sweating drops of blood, Yet for the joy set before him, seeing us reconciled to the Father. And Paul has having that same heart. Um, just, just on that subject of Jesus in the garden, uh, I, I always used to really struggle um, because of my upbringing, because maybe the teaching I, I encountered uh, with the, the, the view of the Father being a loving Father. And I know, you know, for, for God so loved the world that he gave us his sons. Like, well, I, I kind of struggled to see him as a loving father. I actually saw him as an angry father. And then I read this verse, you know, in, in, um, in, uh, yeah, in uh, Luke 22, where Jesus goes to him and says, if, if you can take this cup from me, like he says to, it to him twice in, in Luke, if you can take this from me, like, please do. And the father says no twice. And yet, my view is that Jesus was standing in the way. It's like, of, of the, the anger of the Father in me at all times. But yet, he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to reconcile me to him. When Jesus said, take this cup from me, he said no. It was the Father's heart for me to be reconciled to him. We have a good Father, a loving Father. So I thought he was the angry one and Jesus was for me. And, but yet, in fact, we read in John 5.22 that the Father judges no one and he's given all judgment to the Son. And then we read a little bit later in John 12, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And I know the Bible talks about judgment in different places, about us standing before a great judge. And I know there is a a judgment day. But we have to read those verses in the light of God's heart for us. That We have a loving father who, who gave judgment to the son, and then the son's judgment was love to save us, not condemn us. So Paul's struggle is not that I just really want you to know this, is that I'm actually in agony uh, with this. Pain, yes, and struggle. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Thank you. I've lost my phone. So I feel like um, in this last season, I've, I've, um, I've been in agony. Um, there's been times when I've been on my face in prayer for this resolution, this issue, and, and literally in so much pain that I genuinely didn't know how I was going to draw the next breath. In so much pain, I didn't know how I was going to get through the next few minutes contending for God's hand on this, praying for healing for someone and for something. And like I said, I'll tell you the story one day. But Paul is separated from this group. He's writing um, from prison. He's probably uh, about to be on trial before Nero. He's, um, his judgment, uh, he's awaiting judgment, and that's probably going to be the death sentence. He could turn this around if he just renounces Christ. But the damage that that would do to the church, he doesn't do it. So he just prays. He does the only thing he knows he can do. He prays. Um, he contends. He struggles. 
he fights. And I felt that God in this season has caused me to do that too. And I believe, um, and this comes from a place of me rediscovering the power of prayer and, and, and to a level I didn't really realize um, ever before that, that my generation, I think my generation especially, we don't get prayer. And I know amongst others that's, that's true. But my generation, we don't really know how powerful prayer is and how prayer can change situations. Paul sees that his only option is to pray. And so I was praying and seeking him for him to change this uh, situation. I, and I prayed in my arrogance, just on my knees, just like, God, are you even hearing me pray? Are you even hearing my cry? Are you even listening to me? And uh, Colossians 4.2 came to mind. Now, I'm not good when it comes to knowledge retention. I, I, I read through Colossians when I knew I was going to be speaking on it. I was like, I just don't remember stuff very well. Like, I could probably remember it now because he spoke so clearly to me. But I read uh, Colossians 4.2 and it says this. Continue steadfastly in prayer and, and, and being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So there I am. God, are you even listening to me? Is this even working? Are you even going to hear my prayers? Is, it even point, uh, is there any point to me praying? And he gives me that verse. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So he knocked me off my high horse. Prayer is powerful, and I think we really need to get that. You know, you older, wiser people, um, we need you to struggle for our generation. I, I need you to struggle for our generation, for, for the generations that don't get how powerful prayer is. We need you to be in agony for us, that actually prayer is not, is not the last resort, it's the first option, it's the first thing we go to. You know, just for, as an encouragement to those who have been um, maybe given up on praying for situations, for people, for change, um, Jesus in uh, Luke 11 uh, his disciples come to him and they say, Lord, teach us how to pray just like John taught his disciples. Um, and he basically said, he said this. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us your day, this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, Lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey. This guy likes bread. And I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children um, and I are in bed. I cannot get, you up, get up and give you anything. But I tell you, though he will not get up because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, not impotence, impudence, because of his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. I tell you, and, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks to him the door will be opened. Because of his impudence, because of his shamelessness, because of his boldness, he gets what he needs, he receives what he needs. We have to keep asking, we have to keep seeking, we have to keep knocking. Some of you have been praying for things for years and they haven't come yet. Keep knocking, keep asking, keep seeking, keep praying. I cried and cried out to God for this situation. I was seeking him, wrestling with him, and, and it's turned around. It's turned around. And that should bring hope. I hope it brings hope. 
Isaiah 38, King uh, Hezekiah is told by Isaiah, um, get your house in order, you're going to die. And so his reaction is to turn to the wall. Um, he cries out to God for mercy, weeps bitterly. So then God turn, uh, gets uh, Isaiah to go back to him and says, um, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I've heard your prayer, I've seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I mean, that's a, that's a pressure in itself, isn't it? Like, I've added to your life. Don't tell me how long it is, because now I've only got 15 years left. I could, like, pinpoint to the day. <laughs> like, in 15 years' time, I'm going to drop dead. <laughs> like, I would rather just be like, I've added to your life. Don't worry about it. <laughs> just me. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 7.14 says this, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face I will turn, are they, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven, will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Oh. Prayer is the only option. It's the only option for Sydney. It's the only option for London. It's the only option for our family, for sickness, for brokenness. Prayer has got to be the first option. It's got to be the first option. Anything you need, anything you can think of, even your desires. Colossians 2, 2-5 says this. This is what Paul was struggling for. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in in Christ. So I think there's three things that we can get out of these verses. One, Paul wants them that they would be encouraged in their walk. To encourage someone literally means to give someone courage. Um, the word used here is actually parakaleo. Is that right? Parakaleo? Parakalo. Um, which means to ask, to beg, to plead, to comfort, to exhort, to urge, to call. When, um, when, in fact, Jesus uses this word in a different context in the Beatitudes, when in Matthew 5, 4, he says this, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. He wants them to be encouraged and comforted in the way that they're walking, to remind them um, how they've been taught, what they've been taught, what they already know. That in Jesus, the full fullness, the full assurance, the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, they already know it in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Be comforted in that. Be steadfast in that. It's enough. So he wants them to stand firm in what they've been taught. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Part of Paul's struggle is that in prayer, their hearts would be comforted by the knowledge of, exhorted to the knowledge of. He's pleading with their hearts, begging with their hearts to get the knowledge of the full assurance of God's mystery, which is Christ revealed. God's mystery is Christ revealed. It's not more complicated than that. The image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, through whom all things were made, created, who is before all things, in whom all things hold together, the head of the body, the church, in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through whom all things, people, fallen creation, every fibre of the earth, every fibre of our beings, the very air we breathe, 
the alienated, the sinners, the broken, your neighbours, your family, the damaged, might be reconciled to God. Who Jesus, making peace in his blood, by his blood and blood of the cross, presented holy and blameless before him. His exhortation is that they would get that, hold firm to that. In Ephesians 1, 7 to 7-10 it says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. He wants them to be encouraged and comforted by this truth, the truth of the gospel, and that's God's heart for us too. That we would, that we would get this, nothing added to it. That actually Jesus is enough. He's enough. The third thing that we see in these, um, in these verses is that he, he wants us to have unity amongst each other. He wants them to have unity amongst each other. Being knit together in love. You know, this journey that we're on is something that we have to do in encouraging community. How many of us have been damaged by church? How many of us have been hurt by church? We have to do this together. We have to encourage each other, to comfort each other, to support each other. When all that comes from a place of love and unity, Ephesians 4.2 says, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's thoughts because of your love. We're called to support each other. You know, I've felt incredibly supported by this church, even just in this latest season, even in living on the estate. I've felt incredibly encouraged by this church. And I come from a very toxic church background. I remember um, this one time I was having a pastoral, use the term loosely, <laughs> meeting uh, with my pastor. And um, it was just after I'd found out my biological dad had died. And uh, I, said to, I said to him, oh, I've been, um, I was w- with a girl at the time called Bex. Um, and uh, I said to him, um, I was like, I've been crying a lot lately. It just, just happens at random times. And he, without missing a beat, just said, oh, it's a good job Bex doesn't mind a crybaby then, hey? It's like, what? <laughs> Very toxic church background. So being here, when I can, in the midst of my, my difficulty, go and see Sam or see Nigel or, or see whoever and, and just be comforted and just be loved, it's just stunning. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to support each other. Um, Isaiah 35, 3 uh, says, Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. I, um, I listened to a preach where the guy talked about um, in Nehemiah uh, 4 where um, they're rebuilding the wall. And the enemy uh, wants to come against them. And he's like, I'm... I'm, uh, I'm Oh, like he's mocking them, oh, I'm going to knock it down again. I'm obviously paraphrasing, this isn't in the original Hebrew. Um, this is the James Haley translation. It's great. Yeah, preach it. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Hashtag preaching. <laughs> I am. Um, and basically, they, they, the enemy's um, almost mocking them, like, oh, look, even a fox would get on that and it would fall down. And he's constantly, constantly going after them. And so... Um, God reveals this to them. 
And so they strengthen um, their, their uh, sort of resources. And it says this in uh, Nehemiah 4.16. It says, From that day on, half my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah. Now in Isaiah 35, like I said, it says, Strengthen the feeble hands. That same word, strengthen, is the same word, held. We are, we are called, when there are people here whose walls have been broken down, we are called to strengthen them. And sometimes that actually means standing behind them, holding spears, ready to defend them. That's, that's our job. That same word strengthen is the same word held in the Hebrew. I really like that. Some of us are in a place where our walls have been damaged and knocked down and the enemy is planning further, further attacks and he's mocking us. He's already defeated. The same word strengthen, the feeble hands is the word held, and that's prayer. Sometimes unity and being knit together in love is strengthening each other and standing guard while our lives are being rebuilt. Standing guard in prayer, supporting each other. Paul is wanting unity. God is wanting unity. He wants us to support each other in prayer in life. Colossians 2, uh, 6 to 7. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Therefore, as you received Christ in the Lord, so walk in him. It's so key that we know that we don't need to add to um, the work of Christ. And I think that's the exhortation. I think it's one of the most important exhortations that he gives in these verses. We don't have to add to what's already been done. So as you received him as a free gift, that good news, the gospel, continue as if it's a free gift. I think in my own life, it's so easy for me to be like, things are going well. It's because I'm doing this, 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 and this. It's not. It's because of his goodness. It's because of his goodness. It's because of the gospel. It's because it's a free gift. I don't have to do anything to be accepted by him. I don't have to do anything to be accepted. You don't have to do anything. If there's people believing that lie, that I have to live a certain way, I have to fix this and fix this and fix this before I come to Christ, it's a lie from the pit of hell. And, oh, oh it makes me angry. Let go of it. It's so easy to us, for us to add stuff to our work, uh, our walk in God, because it seems to be good, too good to be true. But it is true, and it's so good. But it's simple. We were separated from God. He sends his son to die for us so that we could be reconciled, a free gift. The problem is as we add to the gospel, and it then becomes unattractive to others. It becomes unattractive to other people. I love how Eugene Peterson puts um, these, these verses in the message translation. Um, my counsel for you is simple and straightforward. Just go ahead with what you've been given. You receive Christ Jesus, the Master. Now live in him. You're deeply rooted in him, and you're well constructed upon him. You know your way around the faith. Now do what you've been taught. School's out. Quick studying the subject. Quit studying the subject and start living it, and let your living spill over into thanksgiving. I love that. Quit studying the subject and start living it. School's out. Just trying to work out what you're right. 
I was watching this film called Burnt recently, and uh, it's about a guy, a chef who uh, is wor- he, he was working in France and then he moves to London, um, and he's trying to get his third Michelin star. It's a good film. It's quite a lot of language, so careful. In this film, he says um, something along the lines of, I want people to see what I create. It's not, it's not enough for me to just create good food. He said, I want people to see what I create and be sick with longing for it. I want people to see our lives. I want people to see the gospel outworked in our lives and be sick with longing for what we have. That they would literally be like, I want what that person has. Because they've got, they haven't got it all together. <laughs> but even when they go through the storm, it's okay. I've seen a bit of this in my, in my interaction with my neighbours. Um, and this is not to blow my own trumpet, because I know it's Christ. But um, my birthday last week, um, my neighbour posted on my wall and said, um, Happy birthday, James, the kindest man I know. Now that was beautiful and in, a, in one part I'm like yeah thanks that's nice but I know it's Christ in me I know all that he's done in me and all he's used me for and all the times I've um, knocked on their door and been like Jesus loves you um, here's some money <laughs> um, yeah it's him I want people to be sick with longing when they see our lives and be like I want that I want that Colossians 2 8 to 10 I'm just going to rush through these last few um, verses See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits and elementary principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For him, in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you will be you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. <coughs> I've had a cold this week. <coughs> You know, so enjoy. I feel like what Paul's saying in these verses is do not succumb to practical atheism. It's really easy for us to live lives that are just um, atheistic in nature. You know, if our main go-to when a problem occurs is human help, human principles, then we're missing out. If there's no difference between what my neighbour does in a problem and what I do in a problem, then I'm missing out. I'm basically living a life devoid of God, and I and I know that's a challenge. And I'm preaching to myself here. Um, during the midst of what I was going through, um, a friend um, of mine I met with him. His name's Charles Oswalt. If you've ever heard a name that needs to be written on the front of a book cover as an author, it's Charles Oswalt, right? But he doesn't write books. I told him he should. He took me aside and he said, James, um, he told me a story about how he'd gone through something very similar and um, he'd met with this, this old guy, this old 90-year-old who, you know, in, in, in the church's sense, they'd stopped him from preaching anymore and they said, look, you've got nothing left to give, really. Like, his wife had died um, and he'd basically, you're not 90. You've got so much left to give. Um, obviously, that was not true. He had so much left to give. But he, he got his Bible, and he was sitting down with Charles, and Charles was telling this situation, and he, gave, he handed him his Bible. And he said, I want you to have this. He said, I've obviously got another one. But I want you to have this. He said, Charles, wash yourself in the Word. Wash yourself in the Word. Get into it. What would it look like if our first 
go-to was the word? What if it was our first go-to was prayer? You know, it's Jesus after all, isn't it? Another challenge, and I'm challenging myself here. If we only get our daily bread from podcasts and YouTube, if we only get our daily bread from other people, then it's basically second-hand bread and it's good. But actually getting into this every single day, reading the words of Jesus, reading his words, he wants to speak to us directly through his word. And I think we miss out if we don't go to him first. It's his right and his reward to be first, to be the answer. And what's more, he's the best answer. He's our only hope. He's my only hope. And idolatry is, is when anything gets placed above him. That's idolatry. And I'm guilty of that in so many situations in my life. But Jesus wants to reinstate himself as Lord over these situations. He wants the gospel to be reinstated as Lord over our problems. He wants us to live lives that are not atheistic in nature, but every single storm we go to, we turn to his word, we turn to him in prayer, we get down our knees, on our knees in agony, praying for people, praying for our generation, praying for our neighbours, praying for those that are lost, praying for the situations to turn around. We see this time and time again in the Gospels of Jesus wanting to reinstate himself as Lord over the situations, um, over these situations. One of my favourite stories is Luke 11. Um, I was going to read three different stories. I'm just going to read this one because I'm aware of time. If you want to turn to Luke 11, feel free. Sorry, not Luke 11, John 11. Sorry, <laughs> you just huffed. <laughs> well, you don't have to. Luke, if you go to Luke 11, right, and I'll just stay in John 11. I'm just going to read through the story really quickly. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary um, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son may be glorified through it. That, to me, blows my mind. Now, when Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. Oh, Lazarus is ill. Oh, okay, I'm going to just chill here for two more days. <laughs> Do you ever get that? It's like, Lord... <laughs> Your servant is ill. The one whom you love is ill. Lord. Lord. Two days later. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let's go, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking, seeking to stone you. Know that feeling. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, oh boy, uh, Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I have gone to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they had thought he meant taking a rest in sleep. Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. For your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. Even here, he's, try, he's, he's pointing the fact that he's going to reinstate himself as Lord over this situation. Even death. But let's, let us go to him. 
So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's us also go, that we may die with him. I've never said that. (laughs) Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been put in the tomb for four days. It's because he waited two days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary was, remained seated in the house. Martha said to, to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's a little bit bitter about him taking his time. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord, I believe. You are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Again, he's reinstating himself as Lord over this situation. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus has not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who, who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep. Now when Mary came to see where Jesus was, she saw him, fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Just really quickly on that point. I I think I've misunderstood that verse for many years. Jesus knew that Lazarus was going to die. He knew that God was going to be glorified for it. He knew that he was going to be raised again. I don't think Jesus is weeping because Lazarus is dead. I think he's weeping because of the unbelief. That they still don't get it. They've seen him do miracle after miracle after miracle. And they still don't get it. But he wants to, again, in his mercy and in his grace, reinstate himself as Lord over um, this situation. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he who opened the eyes of the blind man also kept this man from dying? Then Jesus deeply moved again, Deeply moved again because of their unbelief. Just back up my point really, doesn't it? Came to the tomb. It was a cave. The stone laid against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odour, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I, know that you, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me, that I may be reinstated as Lord again over this situation. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound, with linen strips and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. Time and time again, Jesus reinstates himself as Lord over a situation, over a dire situation. It's what I've seen in my life time and time again. When he set me free from depression, when he uh, gave me a dad that loves me. And time and time again, we can look at our lives and we can see how he's reinstated himself as Lord. He wants to do that in every situation here. 
He wants to do that over every situation, over a broken leg, over physio, over uh, uh, being a reluctant uh, evangelist. He wants to reinstate himself as Lord because the gospel is enough and he's enough. He is enough. Jesus is enough. Um, Let's pray. Why don't you just, um, just, just say to your heart and just say it in your head if you want to. Heart, I give you permission to be open. Heart, I give you permission to be open. And then maybe just put your hands out in front of you. It's just uh, as if you're going to receive a gift. It's, just, it's nothing special. It's, not, it's just symbolic. To say, God, I'm open to you. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, we want to see you reinstate yourself as Lord over many situations. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, I ask that you would reveal uh, to us those areas in our lives. where we need you to be Lord those areas in our lives where maybe we've given up where maybe we've uh, turned to uh, these uh, non-God or atheistic principles elementary, elementary principles of the world that you would reinstate yourself as Lord as we pray, as we humble ourselves as we get into your word, as we wash ourselves with the word just highlight those areas to us now God So there's um, many situations in this room that actually we need a touch from the king. We need to know that he's enough. So if there's a situation in your life um, where actually um, it's been really difficult to keep praying, it's been really difficult to not give up, to not lose courage, then why don't you stand where you are and we're going to pray. If there's areas where you need Jesus to reinstate himself as Lord over your life, as Lord over the situation, Come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. Isaiah 35, free to these people. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Why don't we be Nehemiah to these people and, and, and hold spears? So, you know, we're family. Why don't you just um, look around, see who's near you, who's standing. Let's stand with them.
Let's lay hands. Let's not worry about uh, anything that happens, any emotion or anything like that. Let's not worry about comfort. We don't need to comfort people. It's the Holy Spirit who's the comforter. Just pray a blessing over these situations. Just invite the Holy Spirit to come and minister. Jesus, we ask you right now to reinstate yourself as Lord over these situations. Father, we ask for an increase of faith, an increase of trust, that, Lord, your word would be enough, that we would see prayer as a powerful weapon, as the first resort. Lord, we repent of the times when we've not put you first. We've not come to you. We've gone to other things. Holy Spirit, come. Thank you, Lord. Just while you're praying, I feel to share this story. Um, I was visiting my parents in Worcester just, uh, I think it was five weeks ago. It was in the midst of uh, all of the problems um, starting. And um, I was driving home and uh, it just started to rain. And I saw in the distance that this rain cloud um, literally went across the sky. But directly behind it was blue sky. And I felt God say to me, this is prophetic over the situation. And so as I was driving, the storm got worse. And it got to the point that the windscreen wipers weren't doing enough to clear the rain. And then in the space of 100 meters, I'm not kidding, I was doing 70 miles an hour. In the space of 100 meters, the rain stopped, the ground was dry, and I had to immediately turn the windscreen wipers off. The only water that was on my screen was actually coming from the windscreen wipers, which is quite funny. He can turn the situation around in a moment. He can turn the situation around in a moment. He brings Lazarus out of the grave in a moment. He calms the storm in a moment. We can trust him. You can trust him. In one week, in fact, in three days, God has turned this situation around that I've gone through. A complete 180. You can trust him.